Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the Lamplighters podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. And we are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Bible, following some of the stories of the women who have impacted our faith. Now, last week we had Kristen Shell here, and she helped us take a look at Sarah and Hagar, Abraham's wives, who gave birth to two boys. One was of the promise, God's promise, and one out of Sarah's efforts to help God with his promise. <laughs> Remember, Sarah doubted God's promise and took things into her own hands, setting off um, a cascade of unintended and pretty dramatic consequences. Mm-hmm. She ultimately forced Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away so there would be no competition for her son, Isaac. She loved with a mother's possessive love. And as we saw, her alternate plan B did not work out too well. So Jan, (laughs) where do you want to start this week? (laughs) Well, first, I want us to start by paying attention to a couple of themes that are developing in these stories that we're we're looking at. Okay. The first one is trust in God Mm -hmm. and faith to move ahead. The second one is lack of trust in God and helping Him out with His plan. Mm -hmm. And the third is the conflict that results from those two. Uh, between husbands and wives, between multiple wives, between sons, between brothers, Mm -hmm. the ultimate result being dysfunctional marriages and dysfunctional families. Mm -hmm. But the fourth theme is one that we have to keep in mind. It's God's mercy and grace that we see played out in all of these stories. So we we saw those dynamics uh, in Eve's life in Sarah and Hagar's lives, and in this week, we will see them again in the lives of Rebecca and Isaac. So the last thing I'll say about that is pay attention to sin patterns from one generation to the next. Mm -hmm. We all have them as a result of the consequence of the fall. And if you don't know yours, ask your kids (laughs) because they will know yours. (laughs) Or make a family tree. You know, family trees usually trace relationships, but it'll also trace health patterns, Mm -hmm. occupations, anything. And you will clearly see your family sin patterns if you put them on a family tree. I bet. Mm. Um, I have never doubted that patterns can be passed from one generation to the next. You know, some are good and some are not so good. But as you're pointing this out, I'm beginning to realize that I think more about what I pass on than what has already been passed on to me. And that's probably because I feel like I have a little bit more control over what I pass on, which... The joke's on me, right? <laughs> hmm, control seems to be a yeah, theme in your life, That Lynn. word pops up more often than I want it to. Um, the truth is, if I focus on myself and correcting my sins a little bit more, then the right things will automatically be passed on. So I appreciate uh, mm. you pointing that out this morning, Jan. Uh, but it seems like we might be wandering away a little bit from this lesson. So should we regroup and start to focus on Rebecca a little bit more? That's probably a really good idea. You know that I love rabbit trails. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say one more thing about the topic of generational sin. Uh It's something we're going to come back to Uh uh, over and over. And maybe next time I'm going to share mine. Okay. Maybe. Um, All right. To continue, I'm kind of a linear thinker. I know you're shocked Mm -hmm. to hear that. Not at all. Uh, (laughs) But like I told... uh, 
Kristen, last week, I have to have a basic timeline to follow because yeah. we're skipping great sections of Scripture, mm-hmm. and I get confused about what gets left out, right. right? So it's hard for me to follow God's story if I don't have kind of that timeline to hang things on. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with a brief summary of what's happened in the story since we said goodbye to Sarah and Hagar. Okay. One is that Abraham entered into a treaty with Ahimelech. Who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was a neighboring chieftain. They wanted peace between their two peoples, which is great. But the important thing about that is Abraham got a well so his flocks would have access to water. And that was the first tiny little toehold mm-hmm. of a piece of the land that God had promised was going to come to him. Mm-hmm. Now, Ahimelech reappears in the story of Isaac and Rebekah, sort of as a maybe a bit player. But anyway, he comes back. That's why he's important. Then in Genesis 22, we have that hair-raising story of God's command to sacrifice Isaac. Mm. That was the greatest and the final test of Abraham's faith, and it is worth our time to read it and contemplate it because Isaac's trust of his father and Abraham's trust in his heavenly father is instructive. Um, I used to barely even be able to read that story. It was so uncomfortable because it takes such a dark and unexpected turn, and it just makes me think, Wait a minute. I, of course, my fear is always that God's going to ask me to sacrifice my child, which yeah. <laughs> which the beauty of that story is it points to the reason that we never will have to. He right. will never ask us to do that because unlike with Abraham, when he stopped the sacrifice mm-hmm. of Isaac, he did not stop the sacrifice of his own son. Exactly. And because of that, we were able to regain relationship with God, our father. So... Yes, this is a foreshadowing. It is a foreshadowing. Of the, resur- the sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection, actually. Yes, and, and Isaac is such an integral part of God's plan that he was spared. So okay. let's go on with that. Yeah, absolutely. He was spared, and he grew up to be a rather uh, quiet man who had a contemplative nature. He was fairly passive, mm-hmm. very pampered. He was the son of God's promise to Abraham and had been given everything. He was particularly close to his mother, and he appears through the stories of Isaac, and there are not very many of them, actually, mm-hmm. to be kind of timid and fear-based. Frankly, he's not a very impressive character for one of the founders of our faith, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But both of his, both his nature and his nurture uh, played a role in the shaping of the rest of his life, as would Rebecca's as does ours. Hmm. So it's always helpful to know um, our nature and our nurture in our own lives. Uh, Well, proceeding on, when Isaac was about 37, his mother died, and he was devastated. Now, Abraham was getting old, and he wanted to see his son settled before he died. He was deeply concerned that his son might marry a local like Ishmael had done. In other words, a Canaanite woman who was Mm -hmm. an unbeliever, a pagan. Thus, the hunt for a wife began. Mm -hmm. Now, there's going to be a lot of discussion about Rebecca in the small group, so we're going to take a little detour right now and focus on the hunt, not the wife, because it demonstrates how God is actively bringing about His will for Isaac, and it actually reveals a lot about Rebecca's character. Genesis 24 tells the story. 
as was typical in that day and culture, the father arranged all of this. Mm-hmm. And Abraham thought a member of his own family might be a good fit for Isaac just because they would have the same faith and the same culture and a similar family environment. And that would make for a happy marriage and the continuation of the line who had received the covenant of God about land, descendants, and blessing mm-hmm. of the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So he thinks this is a good idea. He, Abraham, commissioned his oldest and most experienced and trusted servant, whose name was Eliezer, to go to Abraham's family in Haran. And he assured the servant before he took that oath that God would provide the bride who would be willing to return with him to Isaac. In other words, God was going right. to select Isaac's <clears throat> wife. It wasn't mm-hmm. all up to Eliezer. Right. Okay. <clears throat> And then the Bible tells us this, which I think is hilarious. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. Those become very important later. Okay. And he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. That was Abraham's brother. Now, that is stated in such a matter-of-fact way that it makes it sound easy. Right. But if you really think about it, it was a monumental undertaking. Mm Mm-hmm. And we see several instances of God's helpful hand directing this project. First of all, it was a journey of 500 miles. That's a lot. Ten camels, unspecified number of men with him, across a desert. (laughs) It's like walking from Austin to El Paso in three weeks. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to try that. (laughs) No, I don't even like to go in a car. I know. Second, poor Eliezer knew nobody. Mm -hmm. He didn't have any letters of introduction to the family. He was a stranger in a strange land looking for a needle in a haystack, which was the perfect wife for his master's son, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how in the world was he going to go about completing that task? It's an impossible situation Mm -hmm. from a human perspective. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. So about this time in the story, we see why Abraham chose Eliezer to be his emissary. Eliezer was smart, creative. And he trusted God. Yeah. So, back to the camel train. It was evening when they arrived, and Eliezer did the smart thing. He stopped outside the city walls by the well where women were going to come to draw water in the cool of the day, right? So that's a good place to meet women. Mm-hmm. Then he did the wise thing, which he stopped and prayed. Yeah. It was a very specific prayer, and I mean a very specific prayer. He couldn't miss the answer. He said to the Lord, grant me success. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham Mm -hmm. by answering this prayer. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And she responds, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one. It is very specific. It's very specific. You know, it seems reasonable to me. I mean, he, he really needed direction and yeah, uh, for right. every detail. But, you know, that was an audacious prayer. No kidding. If you think about it. Yeah. First of all, young women in that time and culture were unlikely to speak to a man who was a stranger, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if they were by themselves or with other women. Right. But no sooner had Eliezer finished praying that prayer than this beautiful young woman appears and responds exactly in the manner that he had prayed for. And her name was Rebecca. Yeah. And Eliezer knew she was the one. 
Not only, and here's where we learn about her, not only did she give him a drink, which required lowering her three-gallon jar on a rope down into a well or a spring and pulling the jar up, but she also offered to water his camels. Now, remember, they had just come across a desert, right? Yes, They're probably yes. really, really thirsty. Mm-hmm. And here's a bit of trivia for you I found out. I love this sort of thing. Water weighs 8.34 pounds per gallon. I know that because— It's of, heavy. It is. It's yeah. weight and balance for airplanes, and mm-hmm. so that's why I know that, which is an odd thing to know. Every time Rebecca lifted her three-gallon jar and put it on her shoulder, she was lifting 25 pounds. Hmm. She was young, clearly. She was young, <laughs> clearly. I've seen women do this in Africa, and oh, it yeah. is amazing yeah. to me. So back to the camels. Thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons in one sitting. So if you figure the math, 10 camels times 30 gallons per camel times 8.3 pa- uh, pounds per gallon, and that is over one ton of water. Golly. I know. Can you imagine how much strength and how much time that took? Mm-mm. And don't think those men with Eliezer would help. That's not what men did. That's what women did. Right. Right. So we learned that Rebecca was not only beautiful, she was strong, she was determined, and she was hospitable. Mm -hmm. Not only that, she turns out to be of the family of Abraham's brother. Mm. Perfect. Yep, perfect. She offers Eliezer and his men and all those camels uh, lodging. And then she ran, don't ask me how after drawing all that water, uh, to tell her mother and show her some of the gifts that Eliezer had given to her. Okay, proof, right? Right, yes. Now, note what Eliezer does next. He stops and praises God for answering his and his master's prayer. It's the first thing he does. So there are two important lessons here for me personally. Um, First, we take a look at Eleazar, and you notice that he was Abraham's most trusted servant. So we can assume, and you told us, that he was wise, and he had probably plenty of experience in his life. Mm -hmm. So he was given this task and everything he needed to fill it. But rather than feeling confident in his own abilities, he recognized that he wasn't going to be able to do it on his own. So he stopped and prayed for that sign from God. Mm -hmm. He wanted the decision to be God's, not his. And that's a great picture of humility. You know, no matter how prepared I think I am, no matter how certain I am that I can handle a given task, the first thing I should always do is (laughs) ask for guidance and help. I can't say that it is always what I do. Often I think, oh, this is the clear message, and I run off and try and do it by myself, and that's my (laughs) sin pattern. (laughs) So when I learn to listen and obey, then I stay on the path that's laid out for me rather than forging my own. Yes, impossible. praising God And then praising God's afterwards. Yeah, I sometimes forget that part. Yes. And secondly is obviously about Rebecca. I am hospitable by nature, so I can relate to that part about her. But I, I can say that's true about you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but far too often, I'm hospitable at my own convenience. Oh. And I don't think anyone could think that this was her, what she wanted to be doing at this point, that it was convenient for her to water all these animals and these men. But clearly, she had a heart for helping others, even at her own expense. Yes, absolutely. So we're off to a good start. Um, what's next? Well, Rebecca's brother, okay. Laban. Okay. He figures in the story this week and next week. Mm -hmm. He sees the gifts 
given to Rebekah. And the first thing he does is dashes out to fetch Abraham's servant. He sees a rich fish on the oh, hook, yeah. and he doesn't want him to escape. See, Laban, you see, is greedy and a manipulator. Uh-huh. Eliezer will not even eat until he's told the whole story to Rebecca's family, and they promptly agree to give her to Isaac as his wife. Now, there are a couple of cultural things you need to note about this story. Laban is conducting the negotiation, Mm -hmm. which means that Rebecca's father is out of the picture for one reason or another. We don't know. He, He may have been dead or he just may be incapacitated. So Laban is there, but her mother is right there with Laban. Mm hmm she probably had gotten used to running things uh, when her husband wasn't capable anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. Laban was young and he grew up with that. Uh, she was a very authoritative woman and she was fully engaged in this. And that was unusual at the time. Mm. Now, Rebecca, that means that she grew up in a household where she had a brother who shaded the truth to satisfy his greed and her mother mm-hmm. who was making decisions not normally made by a woman in mm-hmm. that time. We see Rebecca herself had been raised to have, we would say, agency mm-hmm. today in her own life, a lot of input. Yeah. And this aspect of her character was confirmed when Eliezer wanted to leave immediately without waiting for all the traditional celebrations and preparations and stuff. Laban and his mother were culturally quite right to be dismayed by this, but they consulted Rebecca, which okay. is unheard of. Yeah, yeah. She had a strong voice, and it was Rebecca's choice to leave the very next day. Okay. So while her family agreed to the marriage, it was Rebecca's choice about the timing, which is highly unusual. Hmm. So off they go, back across the desert. Isaac was out walking and meditating when he saw the camel train arrive. The bride and groom met each other. They were married. And the Bible tells us two things at this point. The first thing is that Isaac loved Rebecca. Mm. Interestingly enough, he's one of only two husbands this is said about in Scripture. Huh. Ironically, Jacob was the other one. Okay. <laughs> and the second thing it says is Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. Now, that sounds like a fairy tale, right? But unfortunately, there wasn't a happily ever after. So you've already addressed some of the cultural differences um, in this story. And I want to point out one more that I think is really obvious. Mm -hmm. And that is, even though that there are still some places in the world that have arranged marriages, it's not something we have experience with. So it seems a little, I don't know, weird. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just put it mildly. For a woman to leave everything she knows and go with a stranger to marry someone else she's never even met. But that was normal then, so that's not what we should be focusing on in this part of the story. What I try to focus on is what I see as Rebecca's bravery to step into a new life. Mm-hmm. You know, her independence as she leaves everything she knows and her clearly very strong sense of confidence that she was doing what she was supposed to be doing. And oh, I just love hearing that Isaac loved her. It all sounds so exciting in the beginning. It does. It all began so well. Mm-hmm. You know, how did it all go so wrong? Mm. Just from this little prequel, we get some hints about that. The first one is the name, Rebecca. Okay. Her name, as names in Old Testament, mm-hmm. has significance. Okay. It means 
amiable and lovely maiden. Mm. Good so far, right? Yeah. But it also means captifying ensnarer. Oh. And we are going to see both aspects of her character in the story of her marriage to Isaac. Mm -hmm. She was strong-willed and independent. She had been given lots of free reign in her life. Her family even yielded to her opinion about when to leave, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. And that strength could potentially complement Isaac's other gifts if it were yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. It it appears that she had a controlling nature. And you know what? Before we're too hard on her, we should all recognize that we have two natures within us. Oh, you aren't hearing me argue. That word, as you just pointed out, (laughs) crops up often in my life. We we have a better nature and we have a worse nature. And, um, And it's important to remember that. The second thing we know is the role of her family of origin. Okay, we see that sin pattern we talked about that's going to become clear in Rebecca's relationship with Isaac and will reappear in the, son, in the story of her son, Jacob. Mm-hmm. The third thing is the role of prayer, if you think about that. The entire search, mm-hmm. the hunt for the wife, was saturated in prayer mm-hmm. by Abraham, by Isaac, even by Isaac, who was meditating on mm-hmm. it. There was great trust in God by all the players at first. But note as the story goes on what role prayer does and doesn't play Mm. and what happens to trust as a result of that. So that's a real clue. And the fourth thing to remember is that despite the mess that Rebecca and Isaac make of their lives, their relationship, their family, etc., Rebecca was chosen by God to be an essential link in his plan of redemption and salvation. She was called to the role of Isaac's wife. And we need to remember that, even in spite of the fact that it was very messy. Messy indeed. Um, And I've heard you refer to a verse in Romans many, many times that I think highlights that last point. And that is, God causes all things to weave together for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's still our hope today, right? That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. So, what do you want to leave us with today, Jan? Okay, there are two things. Okay. Uh, the first thing is that I want us to ponder the arc of Rebecca's life. I mean, clearly she was chosen by God for a holy purpose. She was the right wife for Isaac. Mm-hmm. Her gifts complemented his and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we find her estranged from her husband, not trusted or respected by either Isaac or Esau, manipulating and rationalizing the manipulation to help God out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was impatient and unwilling to wait upon the Lord's timing to fulfill His prophecy to her. Mm-hmm. And finally, we see her having to send her beloved son Jacob away in order to save his life. Yeah, She had one son mm-hmm. trying to kill the other. Yeah, heard that story And before. she never saw Jacob again. Oh. So I imagine at the end, she was heartbroken Miserable and pretty lonely. Mm -hmm. Now, parts of Rebecca's story started sounding to me very similar to David's story. David was a man after God's own heart who began well, but did not end well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all know people like that. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, man, she had so much potential. Mm -hmm. Or I just knew that he was never going to fall away from the faith. Mm -hmm. You know, we've known people like that. 
the question to ask because of this arc is, are we like that? Mm-hmm. Did we begin our faith journey with joy and excitement, but now find ourselves slightly bored or just coasting, mm-hmm. thinking, well, I've worked for God all this time and he's finished with me, so I'm just going to let somebody else do that. Mm. Um, we want to finish our journey strongly. Yes. We want to be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So the first question to ask ourselves, honestly, is how can I finish well? What do I need to do or not do to finish well? Okay. And the second thing is examine your prayer life. Be honest. Talk with someone about it. Is it robust? Is it trusting? Is it patient? Is it full of hope? Is it regular but flat? Mm. Is it just a duty that Mm -hmm. you're performing? Is it drifting? Is it silent? As in you're not praying? Mm. So we all go through seasons of life in our our spiritual life, right? Mm -hmm. Our our prayer life is really the best indicator of the health of our souls. We don't like to hear that very much, but it really truly is. God has called each of us to be a part of His story today, here and now. And each of us plays an essential role in His plan and His kingdom, even though we may not see what it is. Mm-hmm. But we see God through our prayers. So examine your prayer life. Well, I love both of these suggestions. Um, so I think that's going to leave us with plenty to focus on this week as we look both at our own life's trajectory, mm-hmm. <laughs> where we're headed, as well as our prayer life, all aspects of it. Yeah. So good lesson today, Jen. Thanks. Lots to think about. Until next time.